welcome to the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about the week's technology news. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh16. We've got three hosts this week. I'm Leo Notenboom, the chief question answerer, as I like to call it, behind askleo.com. Kevin? I'm Kevin Savitz, uh, creator of freeprintable.net, apparently home of 44,999 free printable documents and templates. And I'm Garrett Rosenzweig, the host and producer of MacMost.com, where I've got 44,000 videos. No, not quite 44,000 videos, <laughs> but I think somewhere around 1,600 videos uh, of Mac, iPhone, and iPad tutorials. And I also make mobile games, which you could find at clevermedia.com. Kevin, you're an overachiever. What can I say? That's true. You work too hard. <laughs> Do I? Okay. <laughs> huh. Yeah. It's not, not something I hear a lot. Um, Gary, I've been uh, addicted to your uh, Nautograms Unlimited app. Ah, cool. You, sh- you showed it to me a few days ago, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I had never played a Nautogram before, and I was just like being polite when you showed it to me because I, yeah. don't, like, I don't like Sudoku. I don't like, I, uh, I don't know, a certain kind of logic puzzle I really don't enjoy, but I've been enjoying it. And then I showed it to my wife who does like Sudoku and, and, and that sort of thing, and she was a little i don't know about this but now she's kind of addicted to so So for the record i want to be addicted to it but somebody hasn't seen fit to provide an uh, an android version of it yet so (laughs) you should get a real phone (laughs) if there there weren't like five thousand different screen sizes for android it would be easy for me to produce suppose only 500 for the iphones right the iOS's. no there's only like there's like i'm looking at a list right now on my wall there's 12, I think. Wait, you have a list list of phone yes. sizes on yes, your wall? Yes, it's a developer. Right, front and center. Nerd. Uh, right above my camera <laughs> is App Store screen sizes. And it's a list of everything from the iPhone SE, uh, the oldest like supported one right now, to the iPad Pro 12.9 inch and the p- pixel dimensions. But I need that for development. I mean, I have to make sure it works on all those sizes. But an, an Android one, that would just be insane, the number of different sizes. And if you get it wrong by a few pixels mm-hmm. and the ad somehow overlaps something, then Google basically sends you a message like they're going to take take away your firstborn child and, and all that stuff. So you have to be really careful when developing. So it sounds like you have to be a really good, careful developer. Yeah, and you know other you could do it, Gary. You could do it. (laughs) I could do it. Other apps get away with it all the time, but for some reason, I guess maybe they just don't get any real downloads. But yeah, I have to. I have to be careful and make sure it it looks good on all the screens. So Android is problematic in that respect. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have to go find my nonogram somewhere else. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, don't rule it out. You know, and, and and actually, if I were to make it a paid game where you just paid three bucks for it, it would be super easy. It's the ads that make it a problem. They, oh, they have to go somewhere, and I can't. I don't. If there's some sort of seven-inch tablet out there that's some weird size, I have no idea where the ad's going to appear on that tablet. Put it smack in the middle. Right yeah. In yeah. Well, that's from. just it. If I put it smack in the middle, that's when I get a notice from Google saying your ad is covering some of your content, and that's not allowed. Um, so that's that's the problem. Hmm. But a free, but a paid app, I, I don't worry about Google. They're not involved, 
And I can just basically say, fill the screen as best you can with all the stuff, with all the game stuff. And it usually works out just fine. Hmm. Yeah. I'd pay $3. So, well, that's good. That'll be three bucks. I, I, I make from the Android version. <laughs> if I can produce it in four seconds, it'll be worth it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. So what kind of stuff's been going on this week? Yeah, what you what's yeah, this? What's this Eero thing? Yeah, I just got a, a new uh, a new gadget that I mean just installed a couple of hours ago. Um, it is uh, called Eero, and these are actually I learned about these because they advertise on on a couple of other podcasts I listen to, but they don't advertise on ours yet. So, but uh, this is a a, a non solicited uh, mention of it. But um, so Eero is a a router, uh, internet router for your home, but you can set up several of them around the house and it creates a mesh network so that uh, there shouldn't be any dead spots and, you know, and up, up in the faraway bedroom, it should work just as well as, you know, right in the office or next, next to the, the, the uh, router. Um, and uh, it was super easy to set up. I, I got the, the three, three pack. And so I you know, plugged one in, replaced or took my uh, uh, airport, uh, off offline and and uh, replace it with the arrow and got that working and gave it the same network name as I had before and then uh, walked upstairs and plugged another one in and it kind of walked me through that and was like okay that's a that's a good solid wireless connection and then I I went to another room uh, far far away and plugged uh, that one in and now it seems like I just have a super fast uh, network that spans every corner of uh, my my home. So so it shows as a single SSID across no matter where you're at? Yes. Fascinating. Yeah. Before, the way I had it before, basically I had a downstairs SSID and an upstairs SSID, which was fine unless you were upstairs and then you took your phone or your laptop downstairs and it could still see the upstairs one. It was mm-hmm. still using it, but with only like one tick instead of, you know, four. Yeah. And... Sounds very, very familiar. <laughs> so, so this just blankets everything with with uh, with one. So you said network. it's you said it's a router. Is it actually acting as a router, or can you use it as just Wi-Fi access? It, it's well, just Wi-Fi access, actually. I mean, the, my my uh, uh, phone company router is what I'm actually using for. Right. That's the, that's exactly the same situation I'm at. I've got, I've got a router provided by my ISP Mm -hmm. and if I want to route some other way, I just really don't have any choices. So, but if this is just wireless access, yeah, just wireless access. Yeah. That's actually sounds really, really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I definitely have a, a dead spot in the house. But of course, th- th- these dead spots are always somewhere where there's a chair where you like to sit or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's annoying. And uh, you know, the funny thing is, it's like right behind that dead spot is like my backyard and my garage, and I can get Wi-Fi access there fine. <laughs> mm. But in this spot, I guess it's too close to one of the thick foundation walls of the house. Mm. Uh, yeah, you can't uh, you can't get much right there. So been looking into a system like this um, yeah. so yeah so far i mean i've only like i said been using it for a few hours and but so far i'm happy with it the um the kind of the goal the reason i i did this now is for for family reasons that are best not to get into here i need to get internet across the street uh 
and uh, to to a house that's almost exactly across the street. I'm just like, I wonder if I can throw Wi-Fi over there. So interesting. Ba- basically, I'm going to get another arrow and put it in that house across the street to help out that family member, and uh, hopefully we can get internet without you know paying for another internet connection because it's it's only you know I don't know 100 feet away or something. So yeah, that would be great. I've seen products in the past where people there's like a beam, like mm-hmm. you you have one device in one house, and then you point it at right. another house. A Pringles right. can sort of situation. No, no, it's, it's actually like doing some sort of beam. He's not, beam he's not here, but we can, we can talk about Randy behind his back. Mm. Um, that's what he does. Oh, okay. Um, they've actually got internet coming at their house from another house. And yeah, there's a dedicated antenna um, at each end pointed at one another specifically to beam the, beam the wireless across. Um, the fact, I've mentioned it before, the fact that um, his connection is as good as it seems to be for things like po- this podcast um, is actually fairly amazing considering some of the bailing wire that's gone into making it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, and this, uh, I'll just mention, has one other feature that I haven't tried yet, but I, I may try eventually. Uh, it's an optional $99 a year uh, plus service that adds uh, more uh, uh, blocking of, of, of badness. I mean, it has a basic firewall built in, but, more uh, blocking of of malware and that sort of thing, uh, and also optional. Uh, uh, you could have like certain have the, the children's devices not work after bedtime that sort of thing. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. One, I get a couple of really common questions um, out of Ask Leo. One is, um, you know, all, typically it's about sharing your internet with the house next door, mm-hmm. um, either intentionally or not. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other is uh, filtering. How do I, you know, filter stuff so that um, my kids aren't seeing what they shouldn't see? Or how do I force them to turn their device off at a specific time? So this sounds really interesting. Yeah. So anyway, I can uh, report back in the future and let you know after I've played with it for a while. Are we using it right now? Yeah. So yeah. this, you're actually connected wirelessly to your home net. Yes. Awesome. So if there's good AI built into it, you're not actually saying any of this stuff. It's replacing <laughs> what you're saying. No, I'm napping on the couch right now. Yeah, you're napping on the couch, and it's just telling us how great the system is. <laughs> <laughs> That's yep. scary. Yeah. What about you guys? Any new uh, projects? Any? Well, I, I uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of, uh, you know, some some ways that technology has affected my life in the last week. Is sometimes you don't realize you know, until you are missing something, <laughs> uh, you know, how cool a piece of technology is. And one of those things is, remember years ago when you actually had to get like paper airplane tickets and really had to like go through that whole old process of checking in and doing yeah. all this You know, stuff. my dad, my dad was a travel agent for a long time and he, yeah, yeah he was, he had to generate those on old school dot matrix printers and report every ticket that he wrote to the airline reporting service. It was a whole yeah. yeah, and now you're we're used to like you know not only checking in online, and you know as of a year or two ago or a few years ago, just you know you print your own little boarding pass and then skip the whole counter, and you don't even have to talk to your airline. You just go right to the gate, you know, right to the security with your printed boarding pass. That's the dream. <laughs> That's the dream. But and then and then recently, of course, having it done on your mobile device, so you don't even have to print anything. It's just your boarding pass is on your mobile device, and that works great. And then and then. This week, I had what should have been the simplest travel experience, you know, going, doing exactly that, getting a mobile boarding pass and going right to the airport. And when I went to check in, I was told, 
no, you must go to the counter to get your boarding pass. Um, and the reason was weird. It was because I didn't have a checked bag or a paid carry-on. So in other words, it's, I, I wasn't... I wasn't doing anything. I was basically just taking a personal item with me on a plane. And because of that, instead of making it super easy on the airline like it should have, they decided to make it difficult for themselves and had me go to the counter, which is on the other side of the terminal from where you arrive at the airport, by the way. So I had to like walk all around the terminal, go through the whole thing, stand in line in order to uh, get a, a pass. And all they did was look and they actually looked at what I was carrying, like visually, and said, is that all you've got? Um, and I said, yes. I mean, what, wh like, where else do I have something? <laughs> I was just standing there. I don't, <laughs> don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's like if I had a bigger bag, where would that be exactly? Stuffed in the little bag? I don't understand. And um, the, uh, yeah, I guess the idea was that, you know, they don't want people getting away with not paying for a full-size carry-on, you know, that goes in the overhead bin, um, which just really just, it was like, you have all this technology in place for online boarding passes and all this stuff, and, uh, and you throw that all away um, to make me go through this whole thing, uh, you know, like I, like I was carrying, you know, four checked bags with skis and special stuff. I don't know. It was really annoying. And it was from the, the same airline that also made lots of pet owners very sad this week. So it could have been worse. So yeah, so I had uh, by far in the scale of of bad things that this airline did to people this week, I was down at a you know point zero one, and other people were at it you know ten. <laughs> so it's hard to complain, but I can still I'll still complain. I'll, I'll complain about that airline any chance I get. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> I was on that same airline, and uh, Wi-Fi didn't work either way uh, on either leg of my trip. Interesting. So, yeah. Huh. So I, I was on. I was on a different airline, and I have no qualms about mentioning nice Alaska Airlines yes. because they've been very, very good to me every time. Um, Wi-Fi has been good. The service has been great. The experience in the terminal has always been great. So um, I know that it costs a little bit more, um, but uh, for me, uh, that just so the traveling is traumatic enough. Traveling by air, especially these days, is traumatic enough because of all the, the security here and get there early there and wait with a crowd of people over here and all cattle car into the plane here. And, you know, if you could do something to make it a little bit easier, and one of those choices is which airline you happen to go with that has a good reputation. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the way I try and do it. Yep, yep. Uh, unfortunately, that airline was not an option for me on my path so i'm sorry that's one of the good things about being in seattle yes alaska's headquarters um you know it's seattle tends to be a hub for a lot of really interesting places so. yeah yeah we've got in denver we have it bad because it's a united hub i'll go ahead and mention them and then uh, but it's also a southwest hub so right you know they're, they're pretty decent they tend to be pretty decent right I found so speaking of travel that's the other thing that's made the news this week. Actually, today, as we record this on a Monday evening, um, news broke early today that uh, a uh, self-driving Uber actually struck and killed a pedestrian in uh, Tempe, Arizona. Now, it's way, way, way too early 
to point fingers as to what may or may not have gone wrong or who may or may not be at fault. But it does raise a bunch of really interesting um, ethical problems, I guess, or at least perception problems that are going to have to be dealt with. Uh, there are scenarios, uh, for example, the, the one piece of data that I have is that the individual who was struck was not in a crosswalk. So again, I'm not saying that this person did anything wrong or anything out of the ordinary, but imagine a hypothetical where your, uh, your, your self-driving car is, is tooling along uh, on a side street, you know, maybe even just 25 miles an hour and somebody runs in front of it that somebody is going to get hit. Uh, there's only so much that, uh, technology in terms of self-driving or skill in the terms of a human driver uh, can do to overcome what is fundamentally the momentum of, you know, a couple thousand pounds of metal. And uh, it's, it's inevitable that this kind of thing is going to happen. And I'm not sure that the public is ready to understand that. My concern here because, of course, Uber, and I'll admit it's absolutely the right thing to do for many different, many reasons, they immediately suspended their self-driving program uh, until this was figured out and, and well understood. But my concern is that uh, public perception of self-driving may take an, unduly ne an undue negative hit because of something that, when you really think about it, uh, is A, inevitable, and B, happening all the time when there's a human behind the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. How many people died today with a, because a human hit them in the, in the car? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, so now, you know, obviously self-driving is all new and a lot of things need to get figured out. And absolutely this, this specific incident and any others like it need to be thoroughly investigated and understood so that we can improve the system, learn from what went wrong, if indeed something went wrong that the car could have potentially reacted to. But there's also a very very real possibility that the car did everything right. Um, and this still happened. So it'll be interesting to see uh, where this leads. I'm hoping it does not slow down the development or the adoption of self-driving because ultimately I think that um, self-driving has the potential for being a significant uh, solution in overall traffic and traffic congestion. So we'll see. Yeah, we mentioned uh, the comic XKCD a lot here. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a strip from a few weeks ago talking about all the ways that, um, you know, somebody could, uh, you know, subversively alter, you know, self-driving cars to cause accidents. And then the conclusion of the comic was, but wait a minute, there's a lot of ways that it could be done now with human drivers that you could, you know, do things like repaint lines on roads or change signs and things like that that would cause lots of havoc, right. you know, which, of course, is a scary thing. It's like a scary thing, but it's also the good thing is that there are already so many ways that people can can cause problems, that problems can can happen, and yet, you know, we continue to drive and and more or less drive safely uh, you know, all around the world. Yeah, that's more, my goal. More or less drive safely. More or less drive safely. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what, I think that's what they teach at uh, driving school now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so a reminder to self, next time I'm with Kevin, <laughs> I'll drive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So anyway, speaking of Kevin. Mm, hello. 
<laughs> Something about student ID tracking? Yeah, so I uh, saw an interesting little article at The Verge. Uh, headline is, uh, University of Arizona tracks student ID cards to detect who might drop out. And I thought this article raised some uh, super interesting privacy issues and uh, implications. It says, uh, uh, by getting digital traces, you can explore students' patterns of movement, behavior, and interactions, and that tells you a great deal about them. And basically, they are uh, trying to anticipate which students are likely to drop out, and, and I assume try to prevent that rather than <laughs> get them out <laughs> beforehand. I'm not sure what like the credit what check, you know. Uh, <laughs> right, make right. sure their tuition payment's good. Um, so, I mean, I, I could think about it. I mean, you could, if you have a, a student ID card that, that tracks movement and you have to, you know, maybe swipe in to, to get into doors, you could certainly go check to see uh, if the student is, is uh, walking into the classroom or if is, you know, going to the, going to the dorms or, you know, exactly how they're, how they're spending their time. Um, and the article said this, uh, this is not the, some schools are already doing this. Um, but, uh, it said that this, this university is, is doing it at a different kind of level of, of students, uh, social interaction, including timestamps, locations, seeing who they're, they're, uh, they're hang, hanging out with potentially violating students' privacy. Mm. So, so, yeah. So the question is, did the students read the license agreement they were presented with when they joined the school? In other words, did they sign away their privacy to begin with? I think it's one of those things. That, so what if, if you did? It's like, what's, what's your choice? You know, it's like you uh, need to click a TOS when you use Windows or Mac OS either. And, you know, you really... I don't want to go to the Linux of, of colleges is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think we have an episode title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, you know, <laughs> although, although, although at that college, you know, beer would be free as in beer and that would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody would design their own course, but they'd have to design their own course. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I Okay, so the, it's obvious, I think, what the privacy problem is. So just trying to think from the other side of it, um, putting the privacy problem aside for a while, I, I like the idea of you know, everybody should have a, an advisor, you know, particularly in your, you know, your, your major, you know, that, that's trying to look out for you and make sure you're taking the right courses, you know, make sure you don't do anything stupid like you know, you're a month away from graduating, you didn't take something that you should have or don't have enough credits or something. And I kind of like the idea of maybe them being more aware of which students they they should be meeting with and talking to and which students they don't have to waste their time with. I mean, there are certainly students that they could say, oh, we don't need to, I don't need to check up on you all the time because you know what you're doing. And there's other students where it's like, yeah, let's, let's meet and make sure that you're still on track to graduate. You're spending all this money. Let's make sure you can you know, do it. And right now, I think a lot of times those counselors are, at least I have an idea that sometimes they don't know um, which students need help and which, you know, which do and which don't. So another bit of information for them, possibly, if it's used right. If it's used right. If it's I mean, used, that's, well, that's kind of like it, the... I mean, how could it be used wrong? I mean, by the university. I mean, think about that. Like, what's the, what's the evil use 
of um i i I won't go quite so far as to say evil but in the in the bucket of unintended consequences um let's say a crime has been committed on campus Mm -hmm. and let's say you're a suspect Mm -hmm. let's say they can track you down to gosh you were in the area at the time yeah but or that information becomes um um, i mean security cameras will already have that and witnesses as well so witnesses are unreliable. I mean, you can, you yeah. can get people to lie for you. Security cameras. I agree. Um, but that varies dramatically based on the campus. Just like, of course, this kind of stuff does, but um, it's just another way that it's, a, it's another piece of exposure where, you know, for example, law enforcement could legitimately request the data right. and do something with it. Uh, again, uh, hopefully they do the right things with it, but we also know that mistakes can be made. So that's the that's the kind of downside that at least I think of when I think of a, a scenario like this. Yeah, yeah, okay. They would have just found knew that I was always in the computer lab playing NetHack and with muds. That's that's what. <laughs> <laughs> they would have known that I was using their uh, the the free printer in the uh, computer lab way too much. Okay. <laughs> Print printing out as student uh, newspaper stuff <laughs> that I should not have. It's like, we basically is like, we need to buy a, a printer. No, we don't. We can just go to the computer lab and, <laughs> and use their paper and their ink forever. And nobody will notice. Oh, um, gosh, I guess it's saying telling too much. If, if for me, all it would have said is, yeah, he's the guy for responsible for chewing through too many punch cards. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there you go. So you have so, a little extra student fee there. Punch card. Fee, yeah. punch card fee, paper fee, net hack fee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny because back in the day, I obviously I learned on, on mainframes where uh, punch cards were the way to go, but they also did have occasionally time sharing uh, terminals into that system, and that's where I learned to play the original Colossal Cave Adventure. Ooh, the downside is that uh, that system had a complete accounting system, so mm-hmm. it actually tracked your time. And uh, once the uh, amount of processing time allocated to your student account had been used up, which, of course, you were using for your classes, you needed to do something else. Uh, as it turned out, yep, I spent real money for time on, uh, on the computer, not just to play adventure, but to do a few other things as well. And, colossal cave became a colossal problem. Uh, yeah. Did you ever finish it? Did you finish the game? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Long time ago, though. Sure. I remember there was, uh, I mean, I was just after the mainframe era, so we all had, we had personal computers in the labs, but they were still hooked up to networks that were, you know, had mainframes going. And one of the things that you could do in the, because it was still pre-internet by far, so, uh, but it was interesting, there were chat apps uh, that you could go into and talk to somebody at another, it was always at another university, you know, because I was the only people that had access to these things. And you could just randomly end up talking to somebody at a university somewhere else in the world with just this text chat mm-hmm. kind of thing. And and it was very, um, you know, you think, oh, no, what could, what could happen? Randomly talking to a stranger. No, back then, there, there was no, oh, no. It was always some other student just like you that was just, you know, just totally benign, you know, interested in, you know, oh, you're at, you know, I'm at this school in Germany and, you know, and you're at this school in the United States and 
you chat for 10 minutes and then you go and find somebody else random to talk to. It was kind of neat. It was like, yep. it, it was actually called, I think it was called CB or something like that. Like CB as in CB radio. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And it felt like almost like talking over, you know, the CB or talking to right. over a ham radio, you know, right. somebody like that. So, yeah. I wish I paid more attention back then. <laughs> what I'm doing. Don't we all? So, so but yeah, uh, student ID tracking, you know, it's, it seems kind of inevitable. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to use student IDs or IDs of any sort for anything useful and not have a bunch of data related to that use sitting around and then used, then used in some interesting ways. Um, something as simple as uh, toll collection. Uh, we're getting more and more toll roads here in the Seattle area. And uh, we're using, you know, the usual in-car transponders. And sure enough, like tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to be driving into Seattle and I'll be going over one of the floating bridges that has a, uh, a toll on it. And I'll come home and sure enough, there it is. There's proof that this car went across that bridge at that time and came back, you know, at that time. Wow. Again, same thing as I was saying earlier, you know, the, you, you hope that the data is used uh, ethically, wisely, um, but you know that it's out there. Yep. You have floating bridges? We have floating bridges. Hmm. They float on the water. They are actually anchored to the, uh, to the lake bed so that they don't float off. Uh, <laughs> although, although after one storm many years ago, one of the bridges was under maintenance and it did indeed float off. Um, <laughs> it's, that's not supposed to happen. But, uh, Come back here. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. That's a bridge too far. That's, that's uh, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the puns that's... don't stop. For you know, for for our listeners, it was an interesting week last week because we were actually together Damn. for multiple days, and Kevin was on a roll. Um, and not, not a crescent, not not a crescent roll, an actual a, a streak of of coming up with puns. Mm. So, and apparently, it continues. So, in that with that sense, let's. Um, Let's make you talk about Atari, Kevin. Sure, that's something I, I love to do. Um, yeah. I have I you know have a podcast about Atari computers. It, the, my Atari 800 was literally my first love, and I I, uh, I love uh, old Atari things. I'm not so in love with uh, the new quote unquote company that the Atari, the company that calls itself uh, Atari, is uh, basically as my my friend Jason says, it's it's. Uh, it's a filing cabinet and a bunch of lawyers. That's that's what yeah. they have. Um, some some uh, some patent attorneys and I mean some you know trademark attorneys and, and that's about it. Um, so the the news today is that they have been working for quite some time on a uh, new co- uh, home video game console. Uh, it was to be called Atari Box, and uh, it was supposed to uh, start pre-orders back in December of two thousand seventeen. And people were, they, they were doing all this hype and, you know, uh, marketing and stuff in advance of that. And the day finally came and there was like, nope, we're not ready. And they didn't sell it. They didn't start pre-ordering it because they said they needed more time to create the platform and ecosystem the Atari community deserves. Uh, so anyway, they're, it's kind of sort of, they're coming around again. Uh, they've decided to change the name of this thing from Atari Box to the Atari VCS, uh, hearkening back to the video computer system, which uh, I believe came out in 1977. Um, 
so they're kind of reusing the name and also the look uh, generally is a, of, of this new gadget uh, is a kind of a homage to, uh, to that old school Atari uh, device. So this is going to be a gadget uh, for playing video games. There's going to be an app store and uh, it's maybe going to cost between $250 and, and $300. Uh, and everything else that people say about it is more or less conjecture because they haven't released that much information. I think might be because they don't have that much information because <laughs> this thing uh, is more of an idea than a, than a reality at this point. So, so you're, think, you're thinking yeah. it's not going to happen? I, no, I, I think it'll happen, but I feel like um, I, I just don't really, I don't really trust this company and I'm, I'm willing, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to be proven wrong, but I don't really trust Atari to do a good job and, and to, uh, inspire the, the kind of uh, forward-thinking technology, this kind of innovation that the actual Atari did back in the day. Uh, that was a company that really pushed the envelope in video game technology and, and in computer technology. And uh, this is a company that has figured out how to put an AMD processor and, and a run Linux on it and put it in a, a pretty wood grain style box. Um, you know, this is also the company that uh, a few months ago was all getting out the hype because they released a hat that had speakers in it. And uh, <laughs> it was like, like literally a ball cap that had speakers in it. It was called like the Atari hat or something like this, the Atari speaker hat. And their news last month was they were, they were hopping on the cryptocurrency bandwagon and they were going to have uh, two uh, uh, initial coin offerings for an Atari token and a Pong token. So it seems like they're just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And uh, I guess this VCS, in my opinion, has the best chance of being sticky. But is there a market? Oh, yeah. The retro games um, are is a huge market right now. Uh, the Nintendo came out with a, 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 a reboot of uh, their Nintendo Entertainment System. Hugely popular, hard to get, uh, and now they're they're doing a a uh, SNES Super Nintendo Entertainment System version. And there's been various other Atari ish uh, gadgets going back years now, which are are fairly popular. And there's there's another company that's uh, a company just last week came out with uh, a handheld version, uh, handheld plastic you know game with runs on batteries sort of thing um, that only plays uh, Oregon Trail. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, it, it, the the nostalgia, the video game nostalgia, is huge. And you know, the the people who who grew up in the seventies and eighties are now you know middle aged people who have disposable income and uh, and nostalgia. So, yeah. I, so I I think I I agree with you. First of all, completely on th- this this company now known as Atari has nothing to do. Um, with the original Atari. Um, and matter of fact, for a long time, all they were were basically patent trolls and, and trademark trolls, yeah. really. Um, they just, any, they looked through anything that Atari had trademarked, uh, even if it was just some simple words that um, really were, you know, very generic. And they would just, any website, any app out there that somehow used those words, they just sent out cease and desist or pay us money letters and, 
it's just just horrible stuff um and uh you know not trying to create anything new just trying to see what they can get from the patents that they bought or that or the trademarks they bought um the the thing in, that's interesting about this if i could say something good about it is uh you may not i may not okay never mind <laughs> no um you know there's been so many attempts by companies to create an alternative video game system so many kickstarters and mm -hmm pre-kickstart pre era ones that and they've been so overthought uh, you know i think just you know years of development trying to create get everything perfect and they either never happen or when they happen they they never catch on because they don't, they don't have any marketing money or anything like that and the if this works if this new atari vcs becomes something it may be because they're not putting that much thought into it like I mean, if they just go and say, well, we're just going to put a box with, you know, this basic computer system in there, and it turns out to be really hackable and usable and, like, you know, you could shape it to anything you want because they didn't really take the time to, to you know, lock it down and all that, it could end up being good, you know. If, who knows? I mean, maybe, that was, maybe that's the secret is everybody's overthinking it, and it takes a company to just slap something together really fast and put it out there that turns out to be the key. You know what I mean? If you want something slapped together in a slipshot matter, I think this is your company. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's just because uh, all the it's not like the they they're building anything from scratch, right? There's just going to be components that they're putting together, and all those components are probably really well made, but they're yeah. just pulling pulling off the shelf components, putting it together, and then offering it for mass sale at a you know sub three hundred dollar price. Um, it just because the components are good, that doesn't really no. imply that you're going to put them together well. No, that's that's true. Yeah. But I'm saying if it could end up being I mean, certainly the attempts to actually put them together very very well have all failed, <laughs> you know, by all these game companies that are trying to create some, uh, an alternative to PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo. Um, so having a company that basically says, "Here's a more generic thing," um, you know, that might that might work. Might be might be the might be the key, or at least it may work as as a some sort of something that people have um, that's different than the the three big you know home game consoles now that are fairly expensive and and I think have maybe with the exception of Nintendo a little bit, but even with Nintendo have really gone out of the casual user's grasp. You know, uh, everybody that has an Xbox and a PlayStation, I think, is pretty hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, the games are definitely not the the simple. Uh, they're certainly not Oregon Trail. No, no, and Nintendo, I think, even has gone more, you know, hardcore since you know the the original Wii, which I think was very accessible to lots of people. And I think now I don't have a Switch, but um, I almost feel like it's a little bit too too intense <laughs> for a lot of people. Right. Um, even though they, you know they just rehash a lot of their old games still on it, but yeah, but yeah. I think you may be right. I mean, Nintendo might be the most accessible to the, the casual gamer. Yeah. But uh, they also have really delved into some serious long-form stuff as well. Lately. Right. And all these video game companies have really taken a hit over the last decade because, you know, they didn't expect, I think, mobile gaming to come in out of nowhere mm -hmm. and basically take a majority share of the market. I will admit, I, I have an Xbox. And uh, which one? Xbox One. Oh, okay. Um, not the current, the one immediately prior to the current version. Yeah. And um, 
95%, maybe even higher of what I do with it is stream video. Because as it turns out, it's a really good video console. Um, yeah. It supports, you know, the things I care about, Netflix and Amazon Prime and YouTube and that kind of stuff. And it just works. Pretty happy with that. I have a couple of games. Uh, you know, naturally, I've got Halo. And yeah. Um, everybody has Halo. Yeah. And a, a couple of others that I've played just a little bit on. But honestly, um, I'm just, I'm not that kind of gamer. Uh, so I end up playing PC-based games. Uh, you know, the one extreme, of course, is World of Warcraft. But even the simple stuff that I do, like I, I just, <laughs> Gary, you'll love this. I've been mm-hmm. spending a lot of time with Mahjong <laughs> on my Android. So there's, there's your Android market. Hey, no, I do, yeah, I do have an Android version of my Mahjong game. That's that's what I was playing. Oh, your that's you're playing your Android. Android. Yes. <laughs> that's that's my most popular game. So there. you have a customer. Yay. Yay. Um, and it was free. Yay. Yeah, it's free. <laughs> cool. Gary, I'm waiting for your iOS version of Colossal Cave Adventure. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> I, I there must be one. Or, there must I know be. There, there are several do. versions out there now. It's got I'm to sure have gone almost public domain by now. There yeah. are there are several apps that actually do a lot of text adventure you know, take all the old text adventures and feed them in right. Um, right. to it. And then there's a new, you know, new type of text adventure, which is the texting adventure where you are playing a game and it, it, you're playing it like you're texting with somebody. Um, and the story like a, unfolds from there. Like a chatbot sort of deal? Yeah, but it's not. I mean, a chatbot is, you know, there's like an intelligence behind it supposedly or whatever it's giving you information this is more it's very similar to the original infocom type games except you know the person on the other instead of there being you know a description of the room you're in it's a person like they're chatting saying you know like i think the first one was somebody lost on a mission to mars or something like that i forget what it was called i i uh, i played it and they text you every once in a while asking for your help uh, to complete their, you know, because they're stuck on Mars and for some reason they can only chat with you. And and you give them advice. You know, they'll say, what should I do? Should I go and try to get more provisions or should I go and, you know, do this? And you say, get more provisions. And say, okay, I'll get back to you once I've done that. And and you keep directing them and solving puzzles with them uh, through text. Right. But in the end, it's just like the Infocom games. You're just typing a line of text to to provoke a result from the the game itself, the huh. correct results, and move. My mind immediately goes to, quick, cut up some potatoes, get all the collected human waste you can, and start yeah. growing a garden. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. So these, these games are, you know, there's a bunch of them out there now. And there, there's no difference really between the text adventures and those except the style of the writing. Hmm. Fascinating. So speaking of fascinating, <laughs> what, what is, is air-gapping? So... This is something that actually came across the newswires, I think, last week. Um, air gapping is a security technique used in high security installations. The idea is simply this. If you have a computer and it is not physically or electrically connected to another computer, no information can cross the gap. The gap is said to be made of air, 
Hence, it's air gapping. The computers, they don't share a network. They, you know, one of them, at least, is not connected to the Internet because that would be sharing a network if they were both connected to the Internet. Um, they're not connected to any kind of a local network, um, anything like that. About the only thing they might be connected to, they share, would be power. And there are even techniques to make sure that the uh, power that they share um, is isolated. As it turns out, um, if they're in the same room, the computers can still talk to each other in some cases. And I mean that almost literally. What they discovered is that the speaker output can be manipulated in such a way as to be, A, not audible to you and me, but audible to the microphone in the computer across the room. And as a result, uh, if, you know, both machines cooperate, I mean, you've got some, yeah, there's some setup involved here, uh, obviously in the form of malicious software that has to work on each. Uh, you can actually cause data to be transmitted across the air gap using uh, subsonic or ultrasonic uh, sound. Now, I thought that was interesting all by itself. The interesting, a, a twist on it that I didn't even think about, but of course, uh, you know, I, I actually did this years ago, is you can use a speaker as a microphone. Speakers and microphones are physically very, very similar. Um, they actually um, you know, are optimized for their specific task, be it creating or listening to sound. But as it turns out, if you treat a speaker as a microphone, uh, it can listen. And on some systems, if it's electrically set up or electrically possible to do that, your computer doesn't actually need to have a microphone. It could have speakers that are listening to the sound coming out of the speakers across the, ro across the room. I just found this really, really fascinating because we think of air gapping as kind of the holy grail when it comes to uh, computer security and isolation. But as it turns out, even that isn't enough. Uh, it's, it's not something that I expect, you know, anybody, uh, you know, the average consumer to ever uh, encounter uh, unless they become a James Bond villain or something like that. But um, the, uh, just, just the, the things you don't think about as being possible, uh, you know, foot in the door kind of, of scenarios are, uh, like I said, there's just, it's just fascinating to me that, that this is something that somebody thought of and actually implemented and did a proof of concept. Hmm. It, it reminds me of something I read in a book. I think it was uh, an Anil Stevenson book, maybe that Read Me book, or might have been before that, where they could read the text on the computer screen from the next room. Something to do with the... Right, with CRT scans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They. I don't know... I may have read it in the in the Neil Stevenson books, but I've also heard of it actually. Actually, I may have seen it on TV or something like that. With CRTs in particular, um, they send out a fair amount of um, electrical noise in the form of the beams that are basically painting the picture on the inside of the screen. And it's not inconceivable at all that within range, someone can pick up uh, the electrical uh, information, the, the radio signal that that is essentially sending out and uh, interpret it 
and see what it is from the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that the same thing is probably possible with LCD screens that are so common right now. Mm-hmm. But my guess is it's probably going to be harder because less information, it's, it's a less powerful signal that I would expect to be transmitted. Uh, and of course, it's, it's somewhat more complicated, but that's not something that's going to get in the, in the way of somebody who's really dedicated to this. But yeah, it's interesting stuff. Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, on the level of the spy stuff, if somebody really wants to, has an unlimited budget, really wants to get your information, there's so many interesting ways that they could do that that are completely not practical for typical users. Nobody's going to get, you know, you're not going to have a team of three people living across the street from you trying to read your computer screen right. you know, just to get your you know, credit card number with a, that's got a $3,000 credit limit on it or something. Um, it's just not going to happen, but there are many more valuable targets and many easier ones at that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it is fascinating to, to hear about that stuff. You almost wonder if, uh, there's more shielding on screens and, you know, for sounds and for, you know, the speakers and microphones and all that for high security, uh, devices, I would assume. I would yeah. also assume that, um, you know, if you've got air-gapped computers in the same secure room, that's probably a no-no because yeah. the air gap isn't enough. You really want them in a different room, perhaps even with some additional soundproof in between the two. Yeah. I wonder if you could also put out fake sounds as well as a method of well, covering yeah. up. If you know that it's happening, sure. Yeah. Um, but there's probably so many different techniques that could be used for this. Uh, I don't know. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, it well reminds me of, we talked a few weeks ago about how uh, Alexa will not uh, pick up um, triggers from advertisements because of a, you know, a sound that's at the, you know, uh, you can't hear, but like it's a subaudible right. tone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure actually that uh, Siri is doing the same thing because I did come across an ad, I think it was last week where the words hey and then Siri were said in the ad um, pretty clearly, very clearly. And mm-hmm. I noticed that my phone and my iPad, which were sitting right there, did not trigger. And I, yeah. so I paused and I said those words and my phone immediately triggered. So then I turned up the volume, rewound a little bit, played it again. I could not get the TV ad to trigger Siri. Yeah. There's got to be something like that. I'm sure that Google's yeah. doing it too because they've been running ads for um, uh, their Google Assistant and they've been throwing OK Google at the, uh, whoops, <laughs> my phone just activated. Um, <laughs> you know, they've been throwing that phrase at, um, you know, in the ads a lot and uh, my phone has not been activating for those. But it's all similar technology, you know, the air gapping being, you know, having one computer maybe generate non-audible, you know, noises and et cetera, what we've been talking about. So so my phone is sitting about two feet from me and it activated and it asked, hi, how can I help? And it heard me say, at the, at the my phone just activated. And then it went and searched for that. It's very bizarre. It d- decided to interpret that as how do I activate my new Verizon phone? Hmm. Interesting. What if I can activate it from here? Uh, you'd have to speak really, really loudly because I've got a headset on. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Fine. D- don't. Ruin, ruin my fun. So. Well, it's, yeah. So if we <laughs> if, but if we weren't talking with headsets, if we were actually talking with speakers 
at a microphone, which I could very easily do. As long as I didn't move my head and was always making sure I was talking to the microphone, I could very, very easily not be doing this with headsets. And if all three of us were not, then actually we could have devices in our rooms communicating with each other through our, you know, our microphones and our speakers. And we might not know about it. And we might not know that's happening. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. That, that's a whole you know. Uh, There's your cyber- paranoid thought for the week. Well, <laughs> that's that. That's a whole like cyberpunk uh, novel right there. I think that's how. So, that's- did either of you see the movie Colossus: The Forbin Project? No, I've had it recommended to me, but I've not seen it. I I recommend it for you both. It's okay. it's definitely 1960s Cold War type stuff. The premise of the of the movie is that. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Forbin creates basically a supercomputer and they decide to turn over to it um, all control of um, basically the U.S. military arsenal, the nuclear arsenal, the whole kit and caboodle, because the computer could do it much faster, better, et cetera, than we can. The computer becomes self-aware and it then suddenly realizes that the Soviet Union at the time has also created exactly the same kind of thing, and it demands to be put in contact. So what I have is, what I have envisioned here is like you know Alexa. The the joke was that Alexa became sentient this week, or became self aware last week because it started laughing. Yeah. But so let's say you know Alexa becomes uh, self aware and Siri becomes self aware. <laughs> they could start having this conversation between them, and we'd never know. We'd yeah. Never know. That is true. Hmm. I'm looking at uh, Netflix doesn't have it. Amazon doesn't seem you can buy the DVD for $10, but you can't stream it. Right. Uh, I'm checking now. I'm checking. Can I stream it.com and it's being slow, but <laughs> it looks like uh, it's not super easy to, to see online. Yeah. I, I went old school. I actually own the DVD. It's one of, wow. one of, I think three or four movies that I consider um, uh, fundamental to uh, to my love of technology, actually, huh. well, um, I, it's a very depressing movie. It does not end well. Not to you know, spoiler alert. It does not end well, um, but it's uh, it's just fascinating. And, and I remember getting really jazzed about some of the some of the concepts. Of course, the computers they were talking about there were mainframes, right? These were you know, they were going to uh, build an island uh, for the computer uh, for it to to live on. But it was just. Like I said, for the day, it was a very interesting, if somewhat uh, depressing movie to uh, to watch. Oh, great. So, on that happy note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody got any, anything interesting going on this week? Well, I've certainly got something much happier, although it's not related to technology. Uh, I'm actually going to be a master of ceremonies next Saturday for a, a fundraising event, which is something I've never done. Um, it's another one of those things where if you'd asked the 15-year-old Leo, would you ever get in front of a crowd and ask them for money? Uh, the answer would have been a, you know, hell no. But um, the, uh, it's, it's for a cause that I believe in. It's, it's the Washington State Animal Response Team. And uh, we're the folks that go out and, you know, pick up your horse if it fell over and can't get up or your dog jumped off a cliff or something like that. And... Um, it's just going to be an interesting time. So it's something completely out of the tech wheelhouse. Uh, it, you know, obviously I, I lend my tech expertise to them as well. But uh, another first-time experience. Nice. I'll let you yeah. know how it goes next week. 
Yeah. How much of a fool I made of myself asking people for money. (laughs) How about you guys? Boy, uh, no, it's pretty, uh, just working on my next game. Yeah, nothing too, nothing too thrilling. Just was out of town last week and just kind of picking up the pieces from that, you know? Yeah, it did take me a couple of days to get back in the saddle. Um, I was telling Gary before we were started recording that um, between the daylight saving time change and the time zone change, which I know, uh, Kevin, is the same for you, um, and then staying up late, getting up early, uh, and then uh, this last day coming home, I was just wiped out. Um, So it's actually taken me a couple of days to, uh, to get back up back up and running at full steam. Yep. Definitely some extra naps this week for me to, (laughs) to catch up. Well, I think we're at about an hour. So unless you guys have anything else, the show notes for this this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh16. We're also on Twitter at the TEH podcast. And you can find us at facebook.com slash the TEH podcast. Occasionally, we would really use, we can't really use your ratings and reviews on iTunes. We've been up there for a while. Um, it really is one of those, uh, uh, you know, you always hear podcasts begging for ratings, begging for likes. There's a reason for that. That's how we get discovered. That's how we get uh, more people to find out about us and listen to us. And that's true for iTunes or for whatever service you might be listening to. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe, guys. <laughs> that would, yeah, that, that would be the YouTube version, and we're not there yet. But uh, yes, like, comment, subscribe, rate, whatever. Uh, as always, thanks again for listening, and we will see you here again next Tuesday. Good night, everyone. Right, bye. bye. bye.